Hey guys, welcome, welcome to another episode. Hello, hello, hello. I hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, so we have our special guest tonight, Dr. Desta. Uh, she's a native of Jamaica and sits on the executive advisory board of Afro Helios, Helios, a Pan-African firm licensed by the Lethos Ministry of Health to cultivate, process, and export medical cannabis, a vertically integrated cannabis operation supporting social progress and business opportunities in Africa. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Desta. Thank you so much. And, and the country is actually less social. Less and we're social. all sort of preparing our tongues to speak in these languages that have been rich from us, you know, through the process yes. of slavery and colonialism. So Lesotho is in southern Africa, a very small kingdom, and um, its brothers and sisters actually from the U.S. who have gone there, and I'm really tickled ground to be working with them. Oh, that's awesome. Now, how, yes, thank you. You know, and it's interesting that, you know, that Africa is starting to get involved um, in something like this. Now, how did you get um, become part of this organization? Well, um, I was actually, I had a radio show called African Matters, and I interviewed a brethren of ours by the name of uh, Brian Wheeler. He's a Rasta brethren educator who repatriated him to Namibia. And um, one of the topics we touched on was his work in the cannabis industry with Alpha Helios. Um, because I'm very much interested in anything that is going to develop Africans at home and abroad, um, and, you know, for even my own personal um, concerns about cannabis, how it's treated, the social justice issues, the medical issues. I was really intrigued, and he recommended my name to the board who loved the work I was doing, and they invited me to be one of their executive um, advisory members. So as I said, I'm really proud because What's, what we're seeing happening throughout parts of the world are known for great agricultural initiatives regarding cannabis. It's uh, not Africans um, or, or, or people of color who are at the helm. Um, we're not benefiting from it, um, whether economically, socially, politically, or otherwise. So I was really compelled to work with Alpha Helios because they have a great social ethos um, and are very concerned about opportunity and access for Africans. And as you know, 55 countries on the continent at the time when we are now the largest trading bloc in the world with 54 countries able to trade goods, services, people, technology. So Alpha Helios is really on the cusp of doing something great for Africans and it will be an opportunity, even for Africans, for black folks, you know, in the diaspora who are into research and development and agriculture and all aspects of just this beautiful, blessed path. Wow. So, now, how does that play, or if at, at all? Because I noticed that there's been a number of, how could I put, put this, conglomerations of African countries with Chinese companies. Because I know that there's been a large, you know, influx of Chinese companies just throwing billions and billions of dollars into Africa. Now, are you guys being uh, considered or are you being even a part of that discussion with any organization from China? No. Where Africa is concerned, uh, it's, it's really 
giving opportunities for the everyday African person for that mm-hmm. matter to get on board buying stock mm-hmm. in the company. So they have done initiatives to, you know, allow for a small amount for anyone to get involved. So it's really grassroots based with a very high global vision. Keeping um keeping Africans at the helm of it. Not to say they wouldn't necessarily do business with but not have others control because we must be able to not only control our narratives but our business and therefore the profits and how they flow and to whom they flow. Mm, I see. So this is very, very necessary in order for uh, people of color to be part of this, um, I guess, this industry that's just growing and growing every year. And it seems like there's less and less, and, you know, there's not enough of us, uh, even though despite the fact of, you know, a number of us have been arrested for it. So for us not to be at least taking an opportunity in this industry is crazy. Yes, and, and that is certainly one of my great concerns. I'm a jurist. I did my JD, my law degree at the University of Florida. And in the state of Florida, the Supreme Court just made a ruling, I think it was last week. So now they're issuing 15, that's only one five, licenses for cultivation, you know, um, in the state, which is a bit, it's a bit ridiculous. Mm. While the high number of us who are indeed arrested and convicted and incarcerated and remain so is exponential, you know, um, compared to, to non-black, you know. So one of the things that I love with Afro-Helios is on the continent, being able to control the narrative work, not just in terms of research and development and agriculture there in Lesotho, which again is a beautiful but very tiny kingdom, very tiny country, but is able to position themselves to consult with the entire continent. You know, Ghana just also legalized. Um, South Africa has legalized. So as we go closer and closer, we want to ensure that we can circumvent, you know, um, foreign nationals, be it Chinese, Canadian, German, whomever, um, from coming in and basically co-opting or what I call colonizing the cannabis again. Wow. Interesting. When you say um, legalized, is is it medical or medicinal? When you said Ghana? Well, it is is medicinal and it's mostly personal use also. Okay. You know, so there is not that um, heavy rate of um, arrest and detention based on, you know, carrying, you know, a few sticks or ounce or whatever it it is. So these things are still brand new and are in flux and obviously getting a lot of pushback. Um, The good thing, ironically, is that um, the continent is being guided by what the U.S. is doing in terms of decriminalization, legalization, and so forth. But again, what Afrohelios wants to do is position itself to not necessarily coax people into following what's happening in the U.S., but create what works for us, you know, kind of a by-us-for-us standard where cannabis is concerned on the continent. So again, everything from him, because we're concerned about the environment and climate change, and we know that the use of hemp is so vast. 
yeah. and everything from clothing to building, you know, equipment, I mean, blocks and or, or whatever. So, of course, medicinal use um, and food even. So we want to ensure that we're approaching it from our standpoint. And a big part is also educating because, again, America is the one that really did a bang-up job in sort of positioning it as if it was this horrible thing yes. that would, you know, cause great harm to people if they, you know, consumed marijuana in any way. Yeah. So now we're having to sort of reverse that thought process as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an interesting history with that in America because they were using, oh, yeah. they were using it, and it was grown and it was given away, and then all of a sudden they said, uh, "You know what? This thing has too much potential to, uh, you know, flip other industries." So yeah, we'll just have to figure something else to do with uh, it. Absolutely, the Duponts and the Hearst, and I mean, we can name them. Yeah. You know, um, it, it became no. Let's get plastics and let's cut down all the trees and. Yes you know, and so forth. And so, as usual, you know, the, the standard here is do the damage, but then say, okay, well, you know, we made, you know, a million times more, so the matter, we can mitigate or we can justify the damage because it was inconsequential compared to what we made. We don't want to see the same thing done where medical marijuana or any use of this precious plant is concerned. It's healing children and adults and elders. Yes. It, it can make a huge difference in people's lives. And we have to fight with every breath to educate and reform processes. You know, as a mother, I gave birth to 10 children. And, I mean, Damn. I had morning sickness, terrible, terrible morning sickness. And just one little job would calm me down and allow me to eat, you know, that I could take care of my family and take care of myself. Um, now, I know mothers in stories where children have been taken, ripped from their mothers and their parents' homes, you know, even though temporarily, because of a mother consuming, you know, um, herb or whatever for medicinal purposes, you know? Yeah. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do, and it's sad that those of us who are affected, affected the most and have the least resources will yes. have to fight the most. Yes. But I think we are going to have to also get these big companies to start looking at their CSR, their corporate social responsibility, because they're making money. They're reeling it in, you know? Yes, they definitely are. And it's interesting how the government's using these companies who are making the money to pay for all of the damages to the families, all the all the men of color they've arrested over the years. So it's like, well, if you want to do business, you got to pay off our, our debts. And that's debts to society. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how it works. You know, the governments have made their money, the states have made their money for imprisoning all these people and then telling them, hey, you want to be in this industry, you got to pay them for what we've done to them. Yeah. It's nuts. Good old capitalism. Yes. So, going back now, you're a native of Jamaica. So, in Jamaica, as you know, is known for growing, uh, you know, cannabis everywhere. I mean, it's just natural. It's like a regular, uh, you know, just like any vegetable plant or anything like that. It's why hasn't it um, been like the first country to really just legalize it altogether or is it just because it's so abundant there was no need to? No, you know, again, the tropes and stereotypes 
of Rastafari, which I, I am a Rastafari woman, um, and colonial mentality that rejected mm-hmm. Rastafari faith and movement from as early as the 1940s, rejected every aspect of the Rastafari liberty of the court. And so that that mental state, that mindset remains. So today we still have many who are incarcerated. And mind you, we're talking about the Black Island, but remember also that it's a Commonwealth. So it's the British that have basically controlled um, Jamaica and all their colonies post so-called decolonization. Um, the saddest part of the situation is that. Right now, in this day and time, I think there's one dispensary out of all those on the island that is owned by black Rastafari. The rest are owned by non-Rastafari, non-blacks. Those who are coming in on the island and reaping the knowledge, the expertise, uh, and all the benefits they're in are not all. You know, um, but that's really easy to do again when capitalism is put first. And it's really sad that we don't understand the benefits of sort of holistic approach to any industry that we're in and, and then showing opportunity and access, especially for those who have been um, denied justice who have been discriminated against and so forth. So the case of Jamaica is a very, very uh, peculiar one. And actually, I'm, I'm doing some writing on, on that um, that I hope to release soon. So I'm really glad that you brought that subject because that was sort of the no-brainer, you know, mm-hmm. because that's what Rastafari did. They, they tease us and all the rest of the rest of the smoke, uh, squish in their mouth, all the stereotypes are there. Mm-hmm. Yet... Rastafari are not participating in the many, many myriad benefits of the cannabis industry, whether in Jamaica or anywhere else. That is crazy. We actually interviewed a young lady who, um, Gail, she had suffered with epilepsy for since she was a child. And and I was finding it strange. I'm like, oh, don't you use cannabis? Because, I mean, again, being from America, I would assume that, uh, you know, because they always associate cannabis with Jamaica, that she would have access to it. And she was saying, no, she does not have access no. to it. And I'm like, yeah, I found it amazing. You know, it was just like, wow. Yeah. Something yeah. that could be healing the people they have right there, and they just could not touch it. This is it. And, and that's what Rastafari actually call cannabis or ganja. We call it the healing of the nation. Mm. You know, because there's so many uses and applications for this incredible plant. But I also equate the plant in many ways to the woman, to the mother. Mm. We know in society, in, 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 in contemporary society, how a woman is used and abused and we're burden bearers and, and taken for granted and sort of looked at as the ones who should just go through and suck it up and be strong and not be given the reward or the honor or the respect of, of that we're, we're owed mm-hmm. in order to really um, give more, you know? Um, so so I, I, I'm often correlating, and of course, you know, we have the female plants that are the ones that, that we do utilize. I often correlate it to how we in this contemporary society view and relate to women. It's the same thing in how we view 
and relate to this, again, this special plan. Mm -hmm. But this is why your podcast is so important. And I really want to thank you all, and it's an honor for me to come on, because we need more and more platforms like this. Our voices have to be heard. People have to know the issues, because many times it's taken for granted. People really don't know. You know, you think again, Jamaica, yes, Ganja, okay, but they have no idea. So your platform allows us to share information, educate, and then transform not just people's minds, but colors. Agreed, agreed. Now, I also read something in your bio that you actually were a, um, I guess, a director with the Bob Marley Families Foundation? Yes, I was the managing director for the um, Bob Marley Foundation. And um, actually, one of the major things I was so happy to do was um, not adopt Rita Marley, but Marley's wife, um, his eldest daughter, Stella, and her eldest daughter, Stella Marley, was to host Bob Marley's 60th birthday in Arisabara, Ethiopia, in 2005. It was a phenomenal event. Um, and working with the family, who, of course, you know, you may know also has holdings, you know, ganja holdings, mm -hmm. and very supportive of it. Um, so it's been a pleasure. And I used to manage Juana um, Rita, too, in the musical industry before I, I started, before she brought me on as managing director for the, for the Bob Marley Foundation. I actually managed her. So I, I kind of combine my art and my activism in yeah. everything that I'm doing. That's awesome. It's interesting because we had interviewed um, Nico Marley, uh, one of um, Bob's uh, godson through Ro Rohan's son. Oh, okay. And he uh, he's involved in the industry now. Um, uh, he's released his own uh, CBD pro uh, products, Lion X. Ah, perfect. Yeah, so it was great to speak with him too. Yeah, yeah. No, and they're influencers that can also help to change the game. Mm -hmm. And this is why, again, it's really important that all of us embrace our own individual and collective responsibility. Yes. You know, whilst we're doing what you're doing and I'm doing what I'm doing, but when we pull it all together, yes. the voice becomes stronger and, and, and becomes a force to contend with. You know, so we just have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and and we'll get through. We'll we'll do it. Yeah, we yeah, we have to do it collectively, you're right, uh, as a unit. Because they're doing you know, as a unit amongst themselves and not including us, yeah. <laughs> or they, as usual, leave the scraps for us to, you know, to contend with or fight over. Now, how do you see? It, it's even. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you see the people of color playing a role in this? I mean, every now and then I'll see a sprinkle of people of color in the industry, but when it comes mm -hmm. to it, it's just like a bowl of rice with a few specks here and there. Absolutely, and a few specks that you have to dig to the bottom of the bowl of rice to eat inside. <laughs> you know, um, it's really sad, but then this is the way the system, particularly in the West, is built. It is not built for us. It's not built by us. This is their system, so naturally they're going to build it to suit themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is why Afrohelios is also really important. And again, the continent, we've got 55 nation states, mm -hmm. 55. And so if we begin as brothers and sisters to, one, sort of shore up what we can do here in the United States or anywhere in, in, in the Western Hemisphere as the African diaspora, it's also important for us to look to Africa. 
look to the consonants, see what opportunities mm-hmm. are there, which are by us and for us that will ensure our success, our sustainability, and a legacy that we can pass on to our children. Because here, you know, I mean, when you think of marijuana, evangelos, or whatever, you think about the incarcerated. Yeah. You don't think about the businessman. I mean, where's, I mean, okay, my title is on his brand, and one or two here and there. But beyond that, I mean, where are we, as you said? And not many of us went this in the state of Florida. Just to apply for a license is $65,000. Wow. And you may not get it, which means you don't get your money back. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's a hard pill to swallow. Okay. Okay. So, you know, a lot is at here. And we're thankful for those states that are receptive and open. Um, but it's very difficult you know, to go to some of these places that are also um, not necessarily favorable for us, you know, in the west or north or whatever, um, and start over almost like pioneers did back in the covered wagon days, you know, Mm -hmm. in a very modern way. But nonetheless, it's quite quite challenging. And so there is no silver bullet to this. It's going to take mass mobilization, yeah. mass media, and, 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 and lobbying on all levels. And while we can't afford these expensive lobbyists that are going in, we have to find other strategies. And also another thing is educate. You know, sending our children to school to learn, you know, engineering, science, technology, yeah. you know, all these aspects related to ganja or the cannabis industry, that they'll be able to be the future developers, marketers, um, you know, pharmacists, you know, and, and, and so forth. So we have to also think long-term yeah. as we're also addressing the everyday issues. Yeah, good points there. Now, how has it been to work with other nations? I mean, how other nations have been receptive to the ideas, especially when it comes around the laws, uh, their individual laws, because I know all, all laws are different in each country, especially right. when it's around cannabis and hemp. Sadly, most countries still have the mental shackles that were planted, particularly by the United States, around World War II, after World War II, again, as we were called, you know, marijuana madness, and we all kind of know the history of it, you know, what happened here, and, and, and um, again, the Hearst Empire, the Dubart Empire, the pushing of plastics and timber, etc., and, and, and the propaganda that had to go along with the so-called marijuana madness. So these um, tropes are still very much um, common and dominant on the African continent, frankly speaking. And so what is the converging interest now is one, as I said, you know, sort of following fashion, where's America? And, and most importantly, the capital part of it. You know, African countries are seeing where they can lift their people out of poverty, where they can, you know, boost the economy and so forth. So it's really money that matters at this point that is shifting the attitude 
And if that's what it takes for now and it can empower the countries and communities, fine. But the, um, you know, I have to take a line from other people to legalize it and I will advertise it. You know, um, we just have to keep getting our voices out there and taking advantage of as many platforms as possible to engage, ask questions, not be offended by the typical stereotypical attitude. Because if you've been hearing something decade after decade after decade after decade and people have been paying hell of money to make sure that you believe it, your mama believe it, your cousin believe it, they're going to believe it. So unringing a bell is impossible, but we can create new narratives and show success stories like the story with, with your child and healing and so many other children yeah. and, and adults and, and elders because it's not just children, but so many whose lives are affected. We've got to keep getting the stories out there, out there, out there. We need to see them on Netflix and Hulu and yeah. everywhere on YouTube, just Everywhere, blurt them out there, you know? Yeah, it's true. But let me ask you a question. I mean, through your advocacy, have you noticed that is there a real genuine interest among uh, political leaders to make a change to help their people by passing laws that would bring or allow hemp to be grown, especially when it could, you know, provide homes, provide clothing, could provide, you know, could support those people that they say they're you know, they want to protect and help. But, like, what is the hesitancy? I mean, I mean, especially around industrial hemp. Well, sadly, the answer to that question is no. No, there's always exceptions. You know, you have those one or two exceptional congressmen and women, senators, um, mayors, um, and, and governors, but they are, you know, few and far between. Mm. And again, this is about a major constituency, the major Americans, they don't see the potential. They're still holding on to what they've been told decade after decade. And so even if they see and they're told by charter or whatever, well, listen, you know, our county is going to get, you know, tripling taxes or whatever. They're not buying it, especially Mm. when you talk about the Bible Belt. But people wow. thump that Bible all day and tell you that Jesus said he's against marijuana. <laughs> they, they, you know, they will, they will play that card to make sure that we don't subscribe to the notion of this plant that is simply a plant. Yeah. Nobody invented it, and you don't have to do nothing to it. Grow it, dry it, pick it, burn it, boil it, done. Eat it. Yeah. You have to. <laughs> Eat it, exactly. It's, it's in its most natural state that anyone and everyone can use it, you know? Yeah. But again, what pushes politics is money and voters. Yes. Money and voters. That's it. And if most voters are not going to subscribe, are not going to support it, then the senator is not going to support it either. You know, they're an elected official, so they want to make sure they keep getting reelected and are just not willing to sacrifice their positions um, for it. That's my observation. And you could see that amongst also um, nations of color, too, as well, when, you know, the leaders have the opportunity and the, and the land. I mean, let's not hide that fact that they have access to land and good, um, 
you know, possession of land too, to be able to grow it and yet not take advantage. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. Because again, remember, the continent was, was colonized, notwithstanding, you know, mm-hmm. Ethiopia um, who is going under a lot of pressure right now because it's the last bastion, you know, and once would love to have that to be able to check that box that, yes, we finally did do it, yeah. even if it's in 21st century. And so this is where Afrohelios is um, part of, of, of their ethos is concerned, is that education and consulting and being able to meet with, you know, public sector, private sector, in terms of new farmers and, and, and government. So I say from government to ghetto or government to grassroots to help to change the narrative and to open up opportunities and access so that everyone can benefit um, from from the derivatives of all that offered, you know, by the plan. Yes, true. Amen to that. Well, Dr. Desta, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for joining us. I mean, it's, it's an inspirational, uh, you know, to hear, you know, your words and to motivate others to, you know, create opportunities for ourselves and to do it collectively as well. I'm definitely going to look into Afro Helios and see what they're about and uh, and just look to, you know, to connect because we definitely need uh, opportunities for ourselves. As they say, you know, if they're not going to feed you, you know, create your own table. Exactly, exactly. And again, congratulations and all the best. Thank you so much. You and your family and what you all are doing, my sister, you know, as a mother or wife, um, I, I, I know it. I know it. I feel it, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> your brother, the dad, and husband. Yes. So keep doing what you're doing together as a family because the family is the foundation. Yes. Okay. You know? And it's so important that we do this together. But um, we're never going to give up the fight, as Bob Marley sings, right? Never give up the fight. Never, never. And never. much respect to you and love as well because... As a woman and a mother of ten, I mean, you're you're inspiration for many. You definitely are that, and also as an advocate. And, and grandmother, grandmother of thirteen and counting. Number fourteen is doing November. Oh, I give thanks that any time that we can do anything on our side with either Afro Helios or just me, Mama Desta, please count us in. You know so. Thank you all again for extending the invitation for coming to that. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yes. And also, if people want to get in contact with you, how would they reach you? They can email me at madebyafricans at yahoo.com. Oh, nice. And, and also on Facebook at um, Desta Mm-hmm. You know, um, and Instagram at Dr. Desta M, that's D E S T A M, like Mary. Um, but email made by Africans at yahoo.com and um, I'll, I'll be happy. Let's, let's do this together. Let's do it all together. Let's, let's change the world. I believe we can. We yes. can. We'll definitely stay in contact and we definitely want to change the world. Thank you again. Amen. Give thanks. Hotel. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst, 
and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at The Talking Hedge podcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows i'm joyce gerber the creator and host of the award-winning podcast the canna mom show And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together. I'm out.